0: Well, hey, we are wrapping up a series today. Uh, Typically around here, we preach verse by verse through books of the Bible. We're going to get back to that here this summer. Um, But we've been in a six-week series. And to get us where we're headed here today, let me tell you a quick story. I I started doing music at a pretty young age. And I remember we had our youth group. And going into about ninth grade, um, we needed a band to lead praise and worship music, like these guys up here, um, for our youth group. And so me and a couple of buddies were like, well, we could, we could do this. And so I said, I'll learn the guitar. And so I started taking lessons and started learning the guitar and started singing a little more and stuff. And then my buddy, uh, he was going to learn to play the bass. And then we had another friend that said, I'll play the drums. And so this friend went out, like, my friend bought a bass. He started learning, started getting, you know, decent at it. And the other friend bought a set of drums, started taking lessons, and there was only one problem. This friend had no rhythm. And it was awkward. Like You have somebody working so hard at something um, with really no natural ability in in that area, and I remember the first time we tried, like, our little, quote-unquote, band tried to lead the music, and it was... It wasn't good. Let's just put it that way, right? And then I remember the first summer when I met uh, my friend named Rob, who became my like drummer, studio drummer, and we toured and stuff later on in life. Um, and the first time I played with him, I think he was only like a freshman in high school, and it was like, Law! I mean, he was really good. And I discovered something, that, it, that everybody's better when it comes to a band when we're operating in our natural abilities or the gifts God gave us. Right? Yes. And the same thing is true for the body of Christ. And if you have uh, your Bibles, why don't you grab your Bibles, turn on over to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. And... uh, What I'm going to ask you to do, we're going to go through a lot of stuff today. We're going to be in Romans 12 for a little while, and then we're going to jump around a lot. I'm going to have some verses up here, some out of the NIV, some out of the ESB. I don't expect you to uh, keep up there, but you can just check that out on the screen. And I'm going to ask you to put on your thinking caps today, Okay. This is going to be a little more of a teaching sermon more than a preaching sermon, so maybe not quite as much. Uh, well, hopefully you'll be a little inspired, um, but I want you to learn some things. I want you to engage the scriptures in your minds, okay? And we're going to do a little bit of church history too, so those of you that don't like that, you can like, I don't know, check your phones or something when we do that. So no, don't do that. Try, try to stick with me, okay? Okay. All right, here we go. So Romans 12, verse 1. This is the Apostle Paul writing toward the end of what many consider um, one of the the most magnificent works, not just in the scriptures, but in all of literature. I mean, this guy, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is brilliant. This is an amazing book. I'm looking forward to the day we're going to preach through this, but it's got to be the right timing. So I'm like, when God? So anyway, uh, okay, here we go. Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So he starts right out. He says, therefore, and remember, this is chapter 12. So he's been writing all along. And he says, in view of God's mercy, of God's amazing grace, unmerited favor, you remember Romans is where we get what, um, this amazing series of scriptures called the Romans Road, where the gospel is spelled out and how to come into relationship with God is spelled out for us. Where he tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But God himself demonstrated his love towards us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We find out that the wages of sin is death, but the, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And that 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 happens through faith in him, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then we find out that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and that nothing, there's nothing that will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amazing, amazing stuff in this book. And as Paul gets gets toward the end, and he said, in light of all that, of what God's done for you, his mercy, his great love that nothing can separate you from. Because of that, we respond by doing the only logical thing. And that's literally saying my life is yours. That when you want to talk about what worship really is, yes, singing is part of it, and it's great to sing and you know feel the presence of God and have goosebumps. And um, some of you really like that portion. Some of you are, are more into the message portion, but actually. When you want to get down to the heart of what worship is, it's offering yourself to God and living your life for him. And so he uses this picture of a living sacrifice, which someone in the ancient world would be a little bit of a shocking image. And the point is like you lay yourself on on the altar, but instead of dying, you live in a new way. You live your life for him he goes on, he says this, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And literally in the Greek, the pattern of this world is is the pattern of this age or aeon. And the idea here all throughout the scriptures is that this present age where there's death, where there's sin, where people live in rebellion to God, and then there's going to be an age to come when his kingdom comes in fullness and completion, when all things will be made right, when when every tear will be wiped away. And he says, your job is to begin to be transformed, to live like a citizen and a member of that age right now in this age. And that affects everything in the way you live your life, and it takes a transformation of your heart and mind to begin thinking the way that God says um, the world works, to begin to think and apply our lives and submit our lives to his word. And he says your mind has to be renewed, that there's a a loving God and engaging of your mind, a transformation that has to happen. He goes on, he says this, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in according with the faith God has distributed to each of you. In other words, whatever you have, God gave it to you. Your gifts, your resources, he gave it to you. Your success, your, your position. Now, here's what I know. You worked really hard, but he gave you the opportunity. He puts you in the right spot. I mean, if we went around and told stories, there would be lots of stories of like, we were working hard, we didn't know what to do, and then God. And something just happened, in that, and God puts you in the place and time, and so we give all glory to him, that it's all for him, that, that he did it. Verse four. For just as each of us has one body, with many members, let me illustrate this for you. Everybody point here. No, you can do this. Head, shoulders, knees, toes. I won't make you do the song. You have one body with different parts, right? For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, so in Christ, though many, uh, so in Christ, we, though many, form one body, And each member belongs to all others, all the others. We have different gifts, according to the grace given to each of us. Different gifts. One body, one body of Christ, the church all around the world, those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus and are part of the body of Christ, and each of us, as we come together in this local expression of the body of Christ, everyone is different, but everyone is vital. Everyone has different roles. Everyone fits a little differently, but everyone is vital. He goes on. He says this. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And he goes off to list some of what we are, know as spiritual gifts. And, and here's what I want to point out. Here's where we're going. I'm just going to kind of give you the bottom line up front, and then we're going to dig into this a little bit more. And that's this, that there are no insignificant gifts. You are vital. You are different, but your life doesn't just belong to you. Did you see what that says? The members, we, we belong to each other. We're here for each other. There's no insignificant gifts, and the body of Christ is only complete when we all use our gifts to build other people up. That ultimately, it's not about you, right? We have a phrase, life is for you, not about you. It's about what God wants to do through you. Church is for you. It's not about you. It's what he wants to do through you to build other people up. Sometimes the most significant thing happening in this service, I think probably many times, isn't what's happening up here on stage. It's the conversations you have passing by out there. It's the conversations you have throughout the week in a life group or in a a small men's or women's group, and the prayers you pray for other people or the people back there serving our kids and, and pouring into them. Many times I think that's the most significant thing happening. And each one is vital for that. And so today we're going to look at this this list up here. But to do that, I want to just go and answer some fundamental questions. And this is going to take us a bit, and you're going to have to strap on your thinking thinking caps, okay? Because we're going to go through some scripture here. What are spiritual gifts? You've heard the phrase. If you grew up in church, you've heard the phrase spiritual gifts. If you're brand new to church, maybe it's a brand new phrase to you. Um, Wayne Grudem, who's a famous scholar that wrote a, a huge 1100 page book called Systematic Theology. Here's how he defines spiritual gifts. A spiritual gift is any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in any ministry of the church. So it's not just natural abilities, but it's anything that's empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in any ministry of the church. He says, these are both gifts that are related to natural abilities. Sometimes they seem very closely tied to natural abilities. And sometimes also, and also gifts that seem to be more miraculous. And so how many gifts are there? Well, there's six different lists in the New Testament that deal with gifts and relate to gifts. And all in all, there's, there's 20, about 27 different gifts listed in the New Testament, but as scholars read them, they think these don't actually seem like they're supposed to be exhaustive lists. They're more representative lists. So I thought what we'd do is we'd have a 27-point sermon and go over every single one of these in the New Testament here today. Paul preached till midnight once and somebody fell out a window and died. Um, I'm not Paul. I'm not going to test my faith of trying to pray for someone and raise them from the dead. So we won't, we won't do that. We're just going to go over a shorter list here. But I wanted to read you one other passage that talks about some some gifts, uh, another very well-known passage out of Corinthians. Here's what it says. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit, and read this next phrase together, for the common good. You didn't read it with me. Let's try that again. You're still asleep. For the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing, or literally in the Greek, gifts of healings by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues or languages. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually, everybody read this, as he wills. This is according to the prerogative of God himself. And so this, like we we have these different lists, this names out a few. There's some more in scriptures. But these are things given by God to encourage, to encourage the body. What are what are spiritual gifts for? Well we see it right up there. You read it aloud. It's for the common good. They're for each other, for building up. Uh, We're told they're for edification later in Corinthians, for building up the church. They're to be used for edification. In fact, Peter, one of Jesus' closest disciples, here's what he says. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And so who has gifts? Each believer, actually, has at least a spiritual gift that God gives for the purpose of what? What does it say there? It's a test. But it's open book. It's up there on the screen, I think. Yeah, For the purpose of what? Very good. Very good. All believers are given spiritual gifts. And a healthy church actually will have a a wide diversity of gifts. And this diversity shouldn't lead to fragmentation in the body of Christ, but it should lead to a greater unity as we all use what we've been given to serve each other. And here's what often happens in churches is people that are more the feelers kind of clump up together over here. People that are more like, we're the thinkers, like they kind of clump up over here. And then like the people that some of us think are weird, they kind of clump up together over here. And if you don't know who they are, you're probably one of them. That's okay. I'm probably one of them too. And so all these different groups, and actually the truth in, in the heart of what you see in Scripture is, we need each other. We need each other. So now, now here's another important point, that even though all believers have at least one spiritual gift, not all believers have all the spiritual gifts. In fact, here's what Paul says about this. In, in verse 29. he says this: "Are all apostles." Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and and he spells it out as the gifts that most build up the church. And I will show you a still more excellent way. And then he goes on to the passage that probably most of you, if you're married, had read at your wedding. The love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13 where he defines what self-sacrificing love is, and he calls this the better way. And so the heart behind this, and in the Greek, it's literally, it's an emphatic statement where in the Greek grammar, it's, the point is you'd answer no to each of these questions. Do all do all these things? No, no, all don't. So you have a spiritual gift, but not everyone has all the spiritual gifts. Now, any believer may experience different gifts, e- even if uh, it's not one of the things that they're primarily gifted in. Let me, let me explain this this way. God may, in a moment, you may not think you have the gift of evangelism. That's a gift. A gift of evangelism. Now, I know some people that, man, it's just amazing. I remember uh, this one guy that came through, and we had lunch with him, and he's literally like going over to another table in a restaurant and leading someone to Jesus on the way out of the restaurant. I'm like, how'd you do that? It's because he's actually gifted in the gift of evangelism. But every one of us is called to share Jesus. And some of you, the Holy Spirit will give you a special empowerment in one of those moments when you're sharing about Jesus. It may not be like, you, you may not be like that dude that's like, you know, praying with people at the restaurant right there. I'm like, whoa. But in that moment, as you share Jesus, it's like, wow, I didn't even know where those words came from. And, and, and this is true in some of these other areas, or, or, or all these other areas as, as well when it comes to spiritual gifts, is that God may, almost like a toolbox in certain times, give you the exact thing you need for the situation that you're in. But, primarily, believers have usually one or two gifts, a couple gifts in their life that are more dominant, that seem like those are the gifts that God primarily elevates and uses in their lives. Now the gifts began when the Holy Spirit uh, descended. In fact, all throughout the New Testament, the the Old Test or excuse me, throughout the Old Testament, the Old Testament looks forward to a time when there would be this greater, more widespread empowering of the Holy Spirit, rather than just the Holy Spirit coming on kings and prophets um, in, in the Old Testament, special people to accomplish a specific work. But it's prophesied that the Holy Spirit would come upon people of God in a much more widespread way. In fact, Moses, as he was talking about the people of Israel, he said this, would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on all of them. He's like, I wish everyone experienced the power of God in this way. And on the day of Pentecost, which is a week, which is celebrated, uh, it's 50 days after the resurrection, um, celebrated next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. But, but on the very first Pentecost Sunday, as the Holy Spirit descended, in Acts chapter 2, Peter, as he recognizes this, and all these people are, are under, um, they are uh, being influenced and empowered by the Holy Spirit, and you go back and look at it, lots of them are talking in different languages, and they're declaring the praise of God in languages that all these different people hear And understand, and they're declaring and praising God in all these different languages. And then Peter gets up and he preaches an incredible sermon where 3,000 people come to Jesus day one. And here's what he says is happening in this moment He says, This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. He said, what Joel prophesied hundreds of years before is happening now. And when you see this phrase, in the last days, we think of you know, the few little, little bit of time before Jesus comes back, right at the end. No, actually, when you study the New Testament, this is the time between Jesus' first coming and his second coming, the first and second advent of Christ. And he says, during this time, there's going to be a special empowering of the Holy Spirit, over, and it'll be widespread widespread. And so the spiritual gifts begin when the Holy Spirit comes on Pentecost. But when do they end? When do they end? And this is actually something I really wrestled through a number of years ago. Um, Because I grew up, you know, and I I didn't really get that I struggled with like, but does God still do all these things today? Is this still in operation? In fact, here's what I know is in our church congregation, we've got people from all kinds of different backgrounds. Some of you, you have no really no church background. Maybe for you, this is the first time you've really wrestled with even this concept of spiritual gifts. Others of you, maybe you came from a church um, that was just really Bible-focused, We're really Bible-focused, really serious about the scriptures around here, but really was like leery, hands-off, or didn't really think that that's at least some of the spiritual gifts God was still doing, um, today in his people, maybe in like missionary places, you know, cutting edge gospel places, but not really here. He didn't really heal um, like tongues. That was something for the past. And so, so there's different people. Others, you've come from a really more of a Pentecostal background, and you're like, you guys are so tame, like kind of boring. So we all have come from different places, and here's what we we say around here. My goal, and my goal for every one of us, is that we would be lifelong learners. And and here's what I think. For me, man, as I've grown, some of my opinions have changed over the years. And as I've dug into Scripture more, it's like, oh, wow, I didn't see it that way before. And there's still a bunch of things that I hold loosely because I'm like, I don't really know. I don't really know about that. And I think that's part of being a student and an ongoing student of, of God and digging into what he has. But here's what I also know. We don't have to all exactly believe the, all the exact things about everything. Like we can come together. We're going to spend eternity together worshiping the Lord. <laughs> and we can come together and we can worship the Lord and we can honor each other and we can love each other now. And, in fact, I would say it goes one step before that. I think we need each other. The body of Christ, the different branches of the body of Christ. We need each other. And so, as I really wrestled through this many years ago here, and, and read a lot of scriptures and dug into it, here's, here's some of the clues that I, that I see in scripture. And, and here's what, the way Paul starts Corinthians out. 1 Corinthians 1, 1.7, he says this, You are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes on and he makes this really clear. He's saying this is when Jesus comes back. This is when Jesus comes back. In fact, as as he goes on in, in smack dab in the middle of the chapter about love, he's making an argument that love, I mean, God is love. Love goes on forever, but these spiritual gifts are given for a period of time for the building up of the church. And here's what he says. Love never fails but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in the mere dimly, but then what? Face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully just as I also have been fully known. Now, as you read through that, what in the past, there's, there's been an argument, well, maybe that's when the, the scripture was canonized, when the perfect comes which was when they assembled all the different writings of Scripture together into the Bible. Um, But as as scholars have studied this passage, almost across the board, it's acknowledged this is talking about Jesus' second coming. When Jesus returns, when when we'll see face to face, when we'll be known fully. Right now, yeah, we don't see everything real clearly all the time. there's going to be a day in his presence when these things won't be necessary anymore because we'll we'll know him and be fully known. In fact, uh, Wayne Grudem says this, spiritual gifts are given to equip the church to carry out its ministry until Christ returns. And as I've wrestled through this, here's what I've kind of come to the conclusion of is I can't find anything compelling or really any strong arguments in scripture why Spiritual gifts would have ceased right after the apostles, or when the Bible came. It just you don't find a clear argument of that in Scripture. In fact, I've concluded quite the opposite that I think Scripture actually says that they're going to continue. Now, some of you you may hold a different opinion. We can have that great conversation, right? I'd love to have that conversation. Encourage you to keep digging into that. In fact, there's a couple of really good books if you want a couple of really good books to to wrestle with this. Um, one of them. I have digitally, because it's 1,100 pages long, and I don't want to carry it around. So you can get it digitally and read it on your phone. Um, Systematic Theology by Wayne Grudem. This is a classic, classic book by a brilliant scholar. And he's got two chapters in here that really clearly lay out both the history and um, the the different biblical arguments for spiritual gifts. And I think he does a great job laying that out. The other one is this little book that I bought many years ago. Um, In fact, it was still in the 90s. Now, there's a brand new version out that uh, this guy's updated just a couple of years ago. I always told my kid, like, my kids say, Dad, you were born in the 1900s? <laughs> I'm like, yes, I know. I'm old. Any, anybody else? You were born in the 1900s? Man, you are old. But this little book, Surprised by the Power of the Spirit by a Dallas Theological Seminary, expert in Greek and Hebrew languages that went back and began to really study this, in a seminary that didn't believe in any of this stuff and really came to kind of a different conclusion. And that was really helpful. And if you want to read a great book on that, I I highly encourage that, or Systematic Theology. It's only 1,100 pages, but you don't have to, you can just pick and choose, like read the ones you're interested in. So let me just do a little church history, okay? Because as you hear these different church opinions and different denominations kind of have different thoughts on this and and see some of these things differently, where did that start in the church? Well, here's kind of, as you track it back, here's where it started. By the year 1500, about 500 years ago, the church, there was really one official church, right? The Catholic church, and Catholic means universal. And so there was one one official church, and this had become filled with corruption by the year 1500. Teaching that good works were, you had to earn your way into heaven. In fact, in 1476, one of the popes, he expanded the indulgent market, the indulgences, which were you bought people in, bought people's way into heaven. He expanded it to the dead in purgatory. So in order to get a little more money from you, um, we will we will give your... Your uh, dead relatives in purgatory, get-out-of-jail-free card if you pay up. And Martin Luther, um, Martin Luther, who was a Catholic monk, in fact, I was in Italy, the very spot where he had the realization there's these cool stairs going up, and he was crawling up them, where he had this realization that just shall live by faith, and he got up and walked back down. And um, he had this, as he read through the scriptures, it just became alive to him that it's about faith, not about earning your way into heaven. Luther became known as the, uh, the prophet of the Protestant Reformation. He taught that the Bible was the final authority for believers, not the pope or the church teaching or tradition. And then there was another real influential guy at the same time named Calvin. And he's referred to as the theologian of the Reformation. He wrote six editions of something called the Institute of the Christian Religion when he was only 26. This guy was really brilliant. And Luther and Calvin, these guys have plenty of flaws as you go back and read about them. But they will forever be heroes of the Protestant faith, which um, a branch of Christianity, right, that we're all part of here and other evangelical, so many churches around the world. See, because here's what was happening during the time. And here's where this gets interesting is because Catholics claimed... um, Catholics claimed that their doctrine went all the way back to Peter, and it was backed up by miracles that had been going on for, for thousands, you know, 1,500 years at this point. And as a reaction to that, Calvin actually ended up bringing, normally he was very scriptural, but on this one specific issue, he, he did not back this argument up with strong Um, scripture, he backed it up from experience, and he brought into popularity a teaching that led to a position called cessationism, which was that some of the the gifts of the Spirit had ceased. But but understand where this first started, it was a reaction to the abuses in the Catholic Church. And another guy came after him. You've heard the phrase, throwing the baby out with the bathwater? Essentially, that's what happened. Essentially, that's what's happened. Another very influential person came into the church after him. His name was B.B. Warfield. And the big idea that he expressed is that miracles had to cease. Otherwise, the Catholics and the faith healers might be right, and the scriptures might be compromised by some new revelation. In other words, the Pope could come up with something completely out of the blue, or other Christian leaders, or tradition, or so-called prophets that contradicted scripture. And so... What's, what you have to understand is a lot of this began, The split sort of in different branches of the church, began as an almost baby out with the bathwater reaction to abuses. Now, if you've ever reacted in your life, um, you know that sometimes you overreact, don't you? And in my personal opinion, as I've read through some of this stuff and studied some of this, I think this may, um, I think this may have been exactly what happened. It was a, was a significant overreaction. And so that's kind of where different churches landed. So I just want to talk about a few of the gifts here with the rest of the time we have today. I'm going to put the list back up from Romans. Now, there's only one in this list from Romans that's at all controversial. So we'll save that one to last. Other than that, I want to talk through some of these other things. Because you remember what, what, what we've learned. Just to recap, all believers have a spiritual gift, at least one. That that gift wasn't given to you for you, it was given for building up others and serving other people. And so abuses happen, and and I would just guess for some of you, you have a reaction when you hear about certain spiritual gifts because you saw some abuses or you were part of something where you're like, man, that just put me off, or man, that weirded me out. We have, a, uh, we have a value around here in our services. We want to create environments where you feel free to invite your family and friends and those who don't know Jesus yet that won't weird everybody out. We're very intentional about that here, okay? But some of you, you had an experience that sort of put you off. But the, the correct response to abuse of certain things isn't to throw the baby out with the bathwater. It's to correct and, and do it properly, right? I think so. But anyway, here's here's a few gifts. First one, serving. Serving. Now, let me just say there is no specific spiritual gift of opening doors or taking out the trash. But some of you, you operate in a gift of serving where it actually gives you life and there's a certain empowerment. See, these aren't just natural abilities, they can be tied to. You may be naturally good at, at serving behind the scenes in certain areas. But when you do it in the service of the body of Christ, there's just like, it, it's empowered by God. He gives you the special ability to do it. It actually brings you joy and it lights you up. Some of you, a bunch of you came out and used this gift yesterday in all these different things. Like you worked hard, you're sore today. And some of you are like, I wasn't gifted. I was just taking one for the team. Thank you as well. So <laughs> we're grateful for that. But there's something like you are vital. Those people who just serve, who like your thing isn't being up front. Although sometimes this gift is operated up front, you just serve behind the scenes, and you're faithful, and you're empowered by God, and you're vital. Literally, the church could not function without you. The things that we do, kids ministry, all the different things that happen here, we could not function without a bunch of people that operate in this gift and serve again. We're all called to serve, right? So many of these things are we're all called to serve, and yet some people have a special gifting that goes above and beyond. Teaching. Some of you love to dig into Scripture, and God uses you to help make the Scriptures plain to other people and apply it to their lives. This is the gift of teaching. And throughout the the early church, what you see is the church was led by pastors, teachers, primarily in the local churches, okay? Okay in leadership. And, and so the gift of teaching, this is something that, that this is a gift I operate in, and some of you do as well. And maybe it's in a small group, maybe it's in a Bible study, um, maybe it's, it's just with discipling one or two other people, but God has gifted you in this area, and he's given you a gift, and you use it to reach other people. Then there's encouraging. Encouragement. Some of you, you have the ability to walk through the lobby and 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 just you sense there's someone that needs encouragement, and you just know it. You see them, and you're able to speak encouragement into their lives in a way that goes goes far beyond. Uh, I, this isn't something I think I'm highly gifted in at all. Now we're all called to encourage, right? But some of you, you are particularly gifted to bring encouragement to others. And you see people and you, and, and you encourage them. We've gotten some encouragements from people that, that I think there's people that are gifted in that. And it's just been this thing of like, oh man, a timely note, a timely message. Like in, and it's something that God just prompts you. He lays it on your heart and, and you follow through. And it was at the exact specific moment that somebody else needed that encouragement. Listen to that, function in that, grow in that. Giving, there's a spiritual gift of giving. Now again, We're all called to be generous, aren't we? We're all called to give. The principle of tithing all throughout the Old Testament, we're all called to participate. But some, God has gifted um, with the ability, and it's a supernatural ability, to make money and then give above and beyond. And let me just say, you are surrounded by some extremely gifted people in this area and very generous that are faithful. And that's how we're able to, to do some of the things that we've done here. In fact, last week or two weeks ago, you guys funded two houses that are going to be built in Mexico. And there were some very generous people. There were some like $5 burrito people, give my part. And there were some big generous gifts that came in. Some of you, you have this gift and it's something you grow. And I just want to say thank you for those of you that, that serve faithfully, that give faithfully in this gift. Leading. Some of you, you just are gifted in leadership in the church. And and people follow you. you. You're gifted in leadership. This is an area, all the spiritual gifts are areas you grow in. None of them, it's just like you're perfect in. Teaching, that's something you grow in, right? All these things are areas you grow in. Leadership. Mercy. Mercy. For those that have the spiritual gift of mercy, Paul says, to do it cheerfully. And some of you, you have that ability to step into somebody else's pain and, and help them in the midst of that. And you see people and you care about them and you walk with them. I, I'm not a highly gifted person at all in, this, in the area of mercy, but I know some of you that are. And trust me, when you're in a time of need, you need someone with a gift of mercy to come alongside you that can, like, empathize with you and help you in the time of need. I can give you a couple of Bible verses, but I, I don't see, like, uh, when you come for counseling, I do that a little bit, but for the most part, I try to have other people do that because there's people more gifted in that than I am. It's a gifting, a gift of mercy. And then I want to circle back to the first one, Prophecy. Because on this list in Romans, that's the only one that, like, all the rest of these, I think everybody's like, okay. This one is a little more controversial in the church as a whole. But let me see if I can help maybe make this a little bit plainer and clearer of what I think is going on here. Now, Wayne Grudem, in in his volume, he talks about this Greek word. And here's what happened. You have a picture in your mind of Old Testament prophets. Elijah. Elisha, right? Joel, Daniel. Like these guys. Um, that many of those were used to write Scripture and speak actually in some of those passages the very words of God. They were gifted with the very message and the words of God. But in the Greek, by the time the New Testament times came along and the New Testament was written in Greek, the word prophecy had a lot wider range of meanings. It didn't generally have the sense of one who speaks God's very words but instead the sense of one who speaks on the basis of an external influence, often a spiritual influence. In fact, um, in New Testament times, the term prophet simply, often simply meant one who has supernatural knowledge. It, It could mean someone who predicted the future, but oftentimes it was just like someone who was a spokesman. And so when we think of this term, oftentimes we think like in terms of Old Testament prophets or sometimes in, you know, predicting the future, you know, Daniel and the kingdoms and Babylon and the giant statue and those kinds of things. But the word prophet and prophecy in, in the New Testament, as you read through all the passages, it seems to be used often of ordinary Christians who spoke not with divine authority, but simply to report something that God had laid on their hearts or brought to their minds. And so here's a definition that Grudem gives of of prophecy in the New Testament. He said, it should not be defined as predicting the future, nor as proclaiming a word from the Lord, nor as powerful preaching, but rather as telling something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. Telling something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. Another real well-respected pastor in, uh, in the nation, his name's John Piper, here's, here's the way he put this. A spirit-prompted, spirit-sustained utterance that does not carry intrinsic divine authority and may be mixed with air. So what do we mean by that? Well, I, I did a whole message last week, if you missed it, you can go back to YouTube or the podcast on some of the ways that God speaks today. We believe that God still speaks. God leads us, he guides us, he speaks, we did a whole message on it last week, so I won't repeat all that, but he uses all kinds of different ways throughout the scriptures, and, and sometimes he, he uses some things that kind of make you go, hmm, I wonder what that was about, impression or a picture, or maybe a dream. Sometimes he uses other people. Um, he's even used a donkey in the Old Testament. So he, he used some weird ways some sometimes... And some of those aren't very clear. Some of those you, you wonder, and I shared some stories with you last week. Um, I believe firmly, my dad had like this picture, I've told you multiple times, of this big screen TV says, go pray for Robert. And it was a, like a God thing. That was God speaking to him. And it was powerful and saved people's lives. And so things like that, sometimes it's super clear. Other times it's like, I wonder what that means. Hmm. Or just the strong sense of, of the still small voice of the Holy Spirit leading you or guiding you in a way. Or maybe some of you, you've probably had the, the, the um, sense where you were woken up in the middle of the night and just had this strong compulsion to pray for someone. And later you found out that there was a situation going on at that specific time. I've heard that story from numerous people where God just put on your heart, laid on your heart in such a strong way you couldn't ignore it. Pray now. Pray now. And Grudem says when, when you define this a little bit differently and when you really kind of dig into New Testament and see how it seems like this was used in the New Testament, this does, not, this does not compromise the authority of Scripture at all. In fact, authority, we talked about this last week, a lot of these ways that God sometimes guides us or leads us are subjective, can be subjective. We don't always understand it completely. And, and because of that, we always, oh, Scripture is the authority. Scripture is the non-subjective, it's the authoritative thing that, that we, that we um, submit our subjective things to. That's where we go for our, for our authority. And so, um, you can see this in Scripture in a couple places. Paul says this in Thessalonians, Do not quench the Spirit, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all and hold on to what's good. And so there's this almost assumption that when people share, in fact, in Corinthians, he says, let two or three people speak and share what they feel like God's put on their heart. Maybe it was, you know, a picture God gave them. Maybe it was something. But then you test it. He said, judge it. And the Greek word actually means like to try to discern if what they're saying is Right. If, because here's what happens oftentimes, is someone speaks, maybe, maybe God gives someone a sense of, of, of what he wants to speak to encourage someone else, but then they interpret it through their own words, right? I, I don't think I have ever, well, I, I will come out and say, I've never given a perfect sermon. I'm reading the scriptures, God's word, but then I'm interpreting it through my words, And so in this sense, it's kind of the same way. Grudem says prophecy can be impure. Our own thoughts or ideas can get mixed into the message we receive, whether we receive the words directly or only receive a sense of the message. Let me give you an example of this. So in Acts, as Paul is is making his way back to Jerusalem, there's all these people who are used in this prophetic gifting. You see multiple examples, and and, and they have the sense of, of direction from the Holy Spirit that he is going to be arrested. And they keep saying, you're going to be arrested. You're going to be arrested. They're going to get you. Don't go to Jerusalem. And at one point, in fact, they're like weeping and trying to keep him there. And he says, stop weeping. Now, here's what happened. They accurately, they accurately were led by the Holy Spirit to understand that he would be arrested in Jerusalem. But Paul, but their interpretation of that was you shouldn't go. And Paul's like, no, okay, this might happen, but I, if I'm going to go be arrested for Christ, I'm going to I'm going to do that. And he had a strong sense that God was leading him to go anyway. In fact, there's this prophet named Agabus who came down and he did this whole drama picture and bound his wrists and said, "This is what the Lord says." And as you really study that account, here's what you see: that this guy, he he had the big picture right. But some of the details, he didn't really get right in the way that he interpreted it. Almost like he saw a picture of what was going to happen in his mind and then used his own words to express it, and the details weren't all quite right. Which is why we always say, like, subjective things, impressions, like pictures, these are things, if you you have a sense that God's leading you, there's a good chance it could be the pizza from the night before. Like, be cautious with these things, okay? Be cautious with them. Paul says this. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. There was something about this that was really encouraging for people. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him. And this is a different conversation. We don't, just don't have time today to, to dig, dig into this. But he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. What does that say? Upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. And let me just tell you, when I've had people that I think um, function in this, there have been some of the most encouraging and sometimes life-changing moments of, of my life. I told you last week about the guy that was praying as I was wrestling through God. Are we hearing you about church planning and didn't tell this guy anything? And he looked over and he said, I feel like God is saying you're hearing him, but you're questioning. You're hearing him. He wants you to know you're hearing him. This guy knew nothing. And that was a strong confirmation of what God had already been speaking to us. See, that's a that's a big point. Be very leery. In fact, people who are responsible in this are very leery of giving people stuff that is direction of your life oriented. Be very cautious with that. But some of the most encouraging things we've had, I remember this one time we were at a conference and, and I'm going to keep some of the details a little vague, but um, we were really struggling with a, uh, uh, with someone in our in our life. And uh, we went down to get prayer. They called like, hey, if, if you need prayer, come forward. So we went down to get prayer. This guy, this is a couple thousand seat auditorium. This guy sees us from the top row of the balcony and feels like God told him to come pray for us. And he has a word for us. And he came all the way down. And we looked down and he came up to us and we looked down and, and his, he had his name tag on. It's the same name of the exact person that we were like praying for. And then he went on to give us this, um, this word that we, we didn't really understand at the time, but as time has unfolded over a number of years, I'm like, oh, wow. That was kind of crazy how spot on that was. Again, out of 2,000 people, I'm like, God, I, I don't know, <laughs> but you're good. I'm, my wife, before she, she was on the mission field for four years, and right before she came home, uh, this guy who was known to to be pretty accurate in things when, when, when he shared in this kind of area, he, he gave her this encouragement. She was struggling with coming back to the U.S., sort of going back to normal life, going to school and things. And, and he told her, hey, don't be afraid to embrace what's not on your heart in this season. He said, you're going to actually return home and meet your husband. And she's thinking, in Grand Junction, I don't think so. And then enter into ministry and have a ministry to children. She came back. We met the next day. And as they say, the rest is history. She's back there teaching your kids right now. Our children's director. And so I, I, I've just seen so many times God uses these things. When, it, when it's done responsibly and by people who are res- responsible and scriptural, it's so encouraging. It's so encouraging and even sometimes life-changing. So I think that's why Paul says pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. I'm going to invite Winston up. We're going to close with a little course of a song we sang a little bit earlier about our lives being used and sent out to those around us. Because here's the big point. I think this is, this is what, you know, whether, whether you're, you're like at a place, if you're still wrestling with all this, God, I don't even know, is this really, keep wrestling with it. Like dig into scriptures. We don't all have to land at the exact same spot. Are you you earnestly pursuing that God would gift you in areas that would reach other people? And your life would be used. Are you others focused? See, there are no insignificant gifts. The body of Christ is only complete when we all use our gifts to build others up. Would you stand? And here's my challenge for you as we wrap up this series. Is maybe there's an area in your life where, where you've become, it's become more about you than about reaching others around you. Maybe this is something you've actually ignored And you've not grown in gifts or you've ignored a gift. Paul Paul tells Timothy, fan into flame the gift. You've let this go into not be used in your life. And there's something he wants to do through you for the benefit of the body of Christ and building others up and encouraging them. Do you want to embrace that more? Do you want to experience that more? If so, just ask him.